Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Double, double. Welcome to SyrupCast episode 22 on this frigid day in Toronto. Last week we were complaining about the, the snow and today we are complaining about the snow and the cold. But at least, shit, at least we're not Buffalo. Oh. As always, I'm joined by Douglas Soltis. How are you, sir? Shout out Vince Carter. Oh, you loved that last night. And rolling dream. her eyes, Jane huh? McIntaggart. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm very good. Again, lovely green headphones. Yeah. So today we are talking wearables. Uh, our friend Tom Emmerich is hosting a We Are Wearables event on Tuesday next week at Mars Discovery District, uh, his monthly wearables-focused events. And we are focusing on wearables because... This time of year uh, is when the smartphone releases slow down, but the wearables releases have uh, not really slowed down. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Gear S from Samsung, the first cellular connected smartwatch from the OEM. I got one yesterday. You guys have played with it a little bit. Uh, not sure what to think of it yet, and we'll discuss that in a little bit. First, though, TELUS. Dum dum dum. Mm. Doug's shaking his head. Mm. More, more choice, more anger. More choice. More choice, less more money. Data. So, Telus changed its plans on Monday, and what they did was they made it easier for people to uh, save money on voice by adding uh, two cheaper tiers uh, with their share plans. But they also lowered the data buckets for uh, four of their entry-level um, data plans. And uh, that was met by our readers with a lot of disgust and anger. Uh, we have since sort of looked back on what we wrote about and have thought about it a lot harder and kind of understand why TELUS did what they did, but let's discuss it. Uh, Jane, you are not a TELUS customer. You are a WIND customer. No. So you and don't have to deal with things like this. No, because we did, we did, like, we looked around, you guys looked around a little bit. Because, um, again, I feel like a broken record when I say it, that it's like, you know, it's not like this where I'm from. And so, you know, we, we did a little bit of looking around. And, yeah, it's just, I just don't understand how... <sighs> I think the biggest thing that I noticed in the comments, people are like, they're going to get away with it like nothing happened. And, yeah, it's just, I don't know, I feel like... If I was a Telus customer, I would be considering switching because it's, it's of no benefit to me. So let's talk about what happened. Um, Telus decided, and they heard from their customers, that their plans were a little bit restrictive. When all three carriers, Telus was the first, but all three carriers implemented two-year share plans back in 
June, July of 2013. And what they did was they bundled unlimited national calling with unlimited texting and voicemail call display, call waiting, etc. All those things used to be part of value packs, but now they bundled them all together and they charged $60 for the uh, a smartphone, $50 for a smartphone light, which was, you know, the Sony Xperia T3 and the Nexus 5 and cheap phones like that. And then $40 for bring your own device. That has uh, sort of changed. They added two voice tiers. Now you're gonna have to go to the article to make it a little bit more um, obvious what they did, but they added a, a $10 discount for people who don't want unlimited voice. They just want, uh, you can save $10 if you want 300 local minutes, and you can save $5 if you want uh, unlimited local minutes. And that has helped them uh, you know, give their customers more and more options. But with, while doing that, they lowered their data tiers. So the $20 data bucket went from 500 megs to 300. The one gig tier went from one gig to, sorry, the $25 tier went from one gig to 750 megs. The 30 gig, $30 tier went from two gigs to 1.5 gigs. And the, the $50 tier changed to $45 and it is now a three gig instead of a four gig tier do you got all that because it's not not confusing <laughs> but what it means is that telus is couching its uh smaller data buckets by saying that its customers can save money on voice uh they're not forcing anybody to switch they're gonna they're, they're gonna respect their grandfather plans including their share plus share plus plans but this is a big deal, and it may set a really bad precedent. Doug, do you think that people are just going to lay, lay, you know, lay down and, and let them kind of walk all over them? Uh, well, yes, <laughs> because uh, it's a we're at a position now where the only justifiable action against this kind of cost encroachment is inaction so whatever plan that you have you're better off staying with it because none of the subsequent options that come or will come in years to follow will really be any better so any telus customer right now is basically like i'm just sticking with my plan uh mm -hmm. any telus customer that I guess maybe needs to change their plan or they're in a situation that they can't hold on to the grandfather plan might be looking around at other carriers, but it's not like they're what they're offering is really significantly better or won't be subject to change. Like we, we always see one carrier of the big three initiates a pricing change right. or a plan change. And then within the next six months, the other two do as well because they can. Um, so I, I really feel like, I understand the frustration because there's this sensation of feeling trapped where somehow right. what you're being offered is – they can just they can just decide that they will now charge you for, for less under the auspice of more options. But what I really think it is is, you know, yeah, they'll charge you 5 or $10 less so you're not on the unlimited voice plan. But the amount of minutes that they're giving you is like they know that you're going to go over that amount. And the overage fee for that – 
is will be significantly more than the five dollars your month you're saving unless you're going under and you know daniel i think this is like the third time this week that you and i have talked about this and i have a tendency to black out when you start running through the numbers because numbers bad words good uh but just in the way that you we kind of touched upon it today when we were breaking it down it seems like all the carriers talk about uh, where their average customer data usage is, and that's how it informs, you know, where they set the price points at. Um, they're always saying that you know Canadians use way less data than uh, you'd expect, which is why all the unlimited plans that we had years ago have been replaced by things that are often like 500 megabytes. 500 megabytes is like 10 app updates on your iPhone. But anyways, uh, it seems like this specific shifting in the data tiers is to set the caps in between um, the general usage points of price points where you're like it's not even a gig anymore it's 700 or 700 750 or it's like 1.5 or these in between phases that just don't seem to coincide with and this is anecdotally any of the usage amongst us or any of the people that we know um, right, but I mean, so there's a couple things there. I don't think a lot of people think about their data usage in terms of megabytes, right? It's hard to really gauge what yes. your monthly usage is going to be based on how you use your phone because yep. so many things can happen. You can accidentally upload or download a a really large app update mm -hmm. with, you know, they may pop something up saying, you're about to spend 800 megabytes downloading, you know, an update to Asphalt 8. Do you video, want to continue? Video in Facebook mobile app now auto plays. Mm -hmm. on, you, but by default only on Wi-Fi. So a no. lot of stuff tells us... No, 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 not by default only on Wi-Fi. Are you sure? Yeah. Or you can ch you can change that to you make it You can change it, but you can't change it in the app. You have to go to Facebook's website. Not true. I, no. I know that you can do that on the... At least on the Android app, you can change it. Not in the iOS app. Or at least I haven't gone back and checked, but not when they launched that feature in the iOS version. The only way to modify that setting was on the desktop. So let's let's just go back a little bit. What they're doing here is they're saying customers were finding their plans too expensive because there was an $80 minimum spend requirement mm -hmm. when you wanted a new plan. You had to spend $60 on voice and text plus a minimum $20 for your data pool. That $20 got you 500 megs of data, but what you can do now is you can spend $70 to get a smartphone when you buy an iPhone 6 or a high-end device, and they, they're now calling it a smartphone premium, uh, I believe. Yeah, um, so what, what that means is Sorry, they're they're calling the smart the former smartphone category premium smartphone. They're calling the smart the pre the previous smartphone light category smartphone, and they're still calling the BYOD bring your own device. So that's still the same. But what they're doing is they're now making it seventy uh, seventy dollar minimum to get into that high end tier, and what that means is that people who wanted to keep their old plans. Uh, and get a new phone. So if you wanted to buy your phone outright and keep your old plan, Telus has a $70 minimum. Now you can change to a new Share Plus plan or a Your Choice plan for $70 and buy one of their phones outright. Um, that's a big deal because people weren't upgrading to the Share Plus plans because they thought that they were too expensive. 
and they wanted to buy new phones, but they weren't necessarily uh, enticed to go to the new share plans because they were far more expensive than their legacy plans. Yeah, so now what they're doing is they're offering more option at the low end. will actually probably gouge you out to make you just hit that higher price point of the share plan to just be like, I just don't want to deal with the hassle. Uh, let me just let me just pay this thing and, and not have to worry because it, it's it is difficult to micromanage your your data in your minutes. And with the with the premium devices, the most frustrating thing is in twenty fourteen, the difference between a premium piece of hardware and a mid range piece of hardware, in no way has an impact upon the data usage. Like, this usage. isn't two thousand and eight no, where you know. Uh, the capabilities of a smartphone versus a feature phone or a high-end versus a mid-range would really affect um, web browsing, image size, um, you know, depending on platform, the amount of data compression. Like, these are all just slates that are giving you access to the internet. And the the bandwidth of mobile internet, the, the requirements of bandwidth keeps increasing while our our phone plans are shrinking. So... You know, you Jane, you made a really good point today where you're like, in, in Ireland, uh, you know, you have a plan subsidizing the price of the phone, and then when the phone's paid off, the price of your plan drops. Because yeah, it's what, not a subsidy, it's a payment plan. Yeah, and what I don't get, like, I'm looking at the at all these lovely numbers, and they keep saying they're offering more choice, and this is what customers wanted, you know, customers are saying, well, I don't want those nationwide minutes, you know, I just mm -hmm. want local minutes and whatever, and I feel like... I feel like if everybody, like, I, I don't know, obviously I don't count as the average consumer, but I feel like I don't give a shit about my minutes or my texts because I mostly use data anyway. Like, I make very few phone calls. But that's um, not uncommon. Most people do that No, now. I, I know. So that's what I'm saying. Even though I'm not the average consumer, I would assume that everybody is in the same boat. So yeah. I feel like what Telus did was like, oh, you want to not pay for the minutes because you don't use them? Okay, you can not pay for the minutes, but we're going to give you less data so you have to pay more to get the same amount of data as you had before. Yeah, totally. But we're going to cut the data just enough that you can't go back to what you had before. You have to upgrade to the next tier and actually end up paying more than what you had before. So here's the thing, though. TELUS can argue now that you spend $50 up front to get 300 minutes, uh, local minutes. And with that extra money that you save, you can put it towards a higher data plan. So that you would spend $60 for voice. Say you want to spend $80 a month. You spend $60 for unlimited nationwide calling and $20 for 500 megs. That's the way it was. Now you spend $50 for 300 local minutes and $20 or $30 for 750 or 1.5 gigs. So you're getting three times the data for the same price that you were spending the month before. And if you weren't using those unlimited nationwide calling minutes, then this is actually a better deal for most people. And that's how they're going to spin it. They're going to say, well, you weren't using those, lo those, uh, those uh, long-distance minutes anyway. Yeah, you but never I was using over. my data, and you just took it away. <laughs> yeah, but they and... didn't because you, you can sign up for you, – you you're not forced to lower your data um, No, I know, but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, device. yeah, people are obviously saying, like, minutes? Who uses minutes anymore? And they're like, fine, you don't have to pay for minutes. But, but you, they're saying that... you do have to pay. You have to pay for at least 300 minutes. No, There's but no you don't have to pay for, like, nationwide. Yeah. Or limited or they're, whatever. They, they're just flipping what they overcharge on and yeah. what they're overcharging but on But they're now already the overcharging on data. Use. Yes. Yeah at, yeah, at a level beyond. <laughs> like, 300 megabytes of data, like, isn't enough for, for anyone who accesses the internet. 
twenty dollars for three hundred megs. Okay, I don't. Th I think I think you guys are, are, are at least. I'm trying to make a point that they are aware of this, and the the punitive thing about this decision is not that they added two more vo voice tiers for you know a pittance. It's the fact that they lowered the amount of data in their in their lower four uh, data plans uh, arbitrarily, it seems, that there's no reason to do that. They could have added those two new voice plans and kept the data allotment the, exactly the same. Yeah. You know, 500 megs, one yeah. gig, two gigs, and four gigs. And people would have been really happy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the, it's almost like the idea that somehow these two services have to operate in con conjunction when from the user perspective, you're paying for access to one thing and access to the other. It's like, oh, well, we made it, you know, you don't have to pay for this anymore, but now it means you need to pay for the other thing, which are in no way related, except for the fact that it has an impact on TELUS's bottom line. And I think right. the real big thing here is that, you know, this is goes against TELUS's brand. Like when you, if, when you look at the big three carriers in terms of like what, ha what company has the most, you know, uh, positive brand sentiment or is generally considered better like more likable better customer support cute furry animals like this is this is underhanded and I, I i wonder if they're really truly prepared to see how much the blowback will be or if i kind of as i said off the top because the the best response here is maybe in action um like if if the Canadian customer base is so beat down that there isn't going to be like they can just get away with it. Um, so and the other thing that we have to keep in mind is that this is for Ontario, BC, Alberta, and everywhere that doesn't have a very competitive fourth player. So in places like Saskatchewan and Manitoba and Quebec, these are not the same prices, and uh, that's that's something that I didn't mention in the article, uh, and I probably should have. But um, so in the places where there's less competition, they're screwing people more. Yeah, they're just taking more liberties on what they can remove. It just yeah, it just leaves such a, a bad taste because I had the same thought that you did, Daniel, where it was like they could have just as easily as like, you know, added that, you know, more choice for the minutes and then just left that alone. And people would have been like, this is awesome. This is more choice. What's interesting, but, though, is that over the over the like. When the share plans were introduced, TELUS came out with these absurdly high prices on their data. And then they quickly lowered them because there was this, uh, you know, customer backlash. And over time, these prices have crept up. So the, um, the amount for a BYOD used to be $30, then it got increased to 35 and now it's at 40 The price for um, a smartphone started out at uh, 50 and then it went to 60. With with BYOD, uh, TELUS was the only one that kept things at $40. Rogers increased it to 50 and Bell sits at 45. And that's the amount per month that you get for, that you spend for unlimited nationwide calling and texting when you bring your own device to their network. Yeah. So, so TELUS it, is still less expensive than the other two. Yeah, but the most frustrating thing with all the that what you just listed is that none of those price increases are in any way related to new services or or improved services provided to the user. 
It's not like, oh, hey, BYOD devices changed and now they have crazy laser features that we need to support. It's just the carriers have a set ARPU target that they're trying to hit and maximize. And if they're going to modify one thing in the customer profile of what they pay for, they're going to have to make it up somewhere else. Nothing of what we pay or very little of it is based upon the actual cost required to maintain this service. This isn't like five years ago when there was a huge shift away from telephony towards data. This is them just moving decimal points around and fiddling with the numbers uh, to be able to make an argument and still hit their same quarterly amount. So like the question I want to pose to both of you is, you know, now that we're how long into the CRTC uh, taking a step to change the way that uh, relationships between carriers and their customers happen in terms of phone contracts, have things gotten any better? What has changed and what hasn't? Because it seems as though it seems as though the, the 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 price pains that people are hitting or the offering is actually diminishing quicker than it was previously when people signed contracts for their phones. Yeah, so I think what's uh, you know you make a good point. Uh, there's really no value added to this other than the fact that you get to save money on voice that you don't necessarily use every month. Mm-hmm. Other than that, the data buckets, the stuff that people really do care about, that has not increased in value at all. In fact, uh, the per gigabyte cost increased uh, over you know across the board, except in the higher data tiers. Um, but what Telus and and you know. Rogers and Bell seem to be focusing on is what the wireless code forces them to focus on, which is simplification and customer service, right? And I think that um, the result of the wireless code coming into effect, and it's taken about 11 months for it to really resonate throughout the industry, is that getting a plan now is a lot easier. Changing a plan now is a lot less vindictive, and canceling a plan is a lot less punitive. And these are things that people shouldn't take for granted because a year ago, canceling your phone had to, you know, you had to give 30 days notice. You had to pay an early cancellation fee. You had to. But but the reason why all those things are easier is because changing a plan means you're more likely to get less and pay more. That's what I'm saying. Like if, you know, all these, all, all this movement is easier because they've set it up so that if you do transition to new plans, you're likely worse off than you were previously. Well, that's true to some extent, but then most people's older plans didn't have unlimited voice and text. They didn't have unlimited long distance. They didn't have you know, things like that that we take for granted in these current plans. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just think that people can't overestimate the benefit of simplicity when it comes to stuff like this i don't think people necessarily want to pay for simplicity and i think simplicity has been forced upon them by the crtc and by them i mean the the carriers but i do think that's interesting that you know when you look at telus's price plans now they're a lot less complicated than they were a year ago they're just not more va- they just don't provide any more value than they do than they did a yeah. year ago i don't think simplification necessarily in this way is a benefit yeah, I mean, it, it all depends, right? Like secret charges and um, 
things like that, you know, things on your bill that you don't understand and you have to call them in a panic and they have to try to like, you know, explain to you or, you know, tr explain at you what these charges are. Like you don't re you don't really get that a lot anymore because no, the CRTC it, mandated it. Well, but mandated it and then tracked it and both Bell and uh, Rogers failed in that regard, right? So well, it's not like this came out and they the companies changed their ways. It's No, the, they did change their ways. They implemented like 95% of what the CRTC told them they needed to, and the only two things they failed on, they've already changed. They said that they were in the process of changing those two things, and th by now they've definitely changed them because this was back in like September or August. So Jane, how do we fix this? Move to Ireland. Oh, I have no, and that's why you know I talk about you know oh wind sucks like the reception is so bad, but I'm on like the holiday miracle plan from what like three years ago or four years ago, and it's like $35 a month for, you know, unlimited this, unlimited, like unlimited data, unlimited calling, um, unlimited global text, which is awesome for when I text home. And it's, and that to me, I was like, this is an amazing deal because to get something similar at home, I'd probably pay about 70, 80 euro, but that's 70, 80 euro for like unlimited everything across the board. So when I get here and I see someone saying, oh, I'm on Bell and I pay, someone on, someone in the comments said they pay 90 bucks a month on Bell for... Let me see if I can find it. Um, unlimited data with 400 voice minutes and a thousand texts for $90 a month. And I'm like, that's that's the guts of $100 and you get 400 minutes. Like, that's criminal. <laughs> and like, people say that, the, to, I don't know how you're going to fix people, but you said, Doug, people are just going to, you know, inaction might, might do it. No, but you then know you what they're going to do? They're going to invest in a Videotron win merger and then Chairman <laughs> Handsome's going to save our asses. Oh my God, Chairman Hampson to the rescue. No, what people are saying in the comments, like, oh, I'm just not going to do anything. I have my, and there's so many people, I have my grandfathered plan and I'm not, I'm not. Dude, I'm doing the same thing. I, I yeah, double dog you dare get, you, Rogers. Come at me. But then you um, have the problem that like the iPhone 6 comes out and Rogers says, well, if you know, you know, you gotta, you can't just upgrade to, you gotta, you gotta sign a new share plan contract or whatever. Yeah. So I'm wondering how long people can hold out with, you know. Yeah. Well, what it means is that you, you know, those customers are forced to buy, uh, to find other ways of purchasing phones, so they yeah. become more savvy at it. If you wanted an iPhone six and you didn't want to touch your plan, go to the Apple Store, spend nine hundred dollars, right. and get an unlocked iPhone six. Yeah, that's the, that's the only option. Or wait until one goes on sale. Right. You know, your friend sells it, or somebody on like Red Flag or Kijiji. But I'm but wondering how people, how much patience people have. Like, you know, we've talked, we talked so many times about. People just don't buy phones off contract. Like, people rarely do. And look and at the I... Nexus 6. That is a clear example of Google, the company that basically started the unlocked phone revolution with the, with the uh, Nexus 4, going back and saying, okay, well, we really don't think that people buy unlocked phones in great quantities. Most of right. the... Most of the business, most of the activity goes through the carriers. Well, we're also, so, we, were, we also didn't really like eating that price. <laughs> so no, but my point is, is that a lot of people here are saying, I'm going to stick with my grandfathered plan. I don't know how many of them are, would be willing to eat the cost up front to keep those savings. I don't know how many of them would say, you know what, it's worth spending seven, eight hundred, nine hundred dollars now on my phone so that I'm not forced to pay those prices every month. Or if they'd say, like, like Doug said, they're just beat down and they'll be like, you know what, fine, like I don't. I don't have nine hundred dollars to spend. Well, what I actually think is this is going to lead to people maybe buying those phones up front, but doing it with less frequency than they would. I don't think people are going to be on an eighteen-month phone upgrade cadence anymore. 
Like, I think people are really going to hold out until they really need a new phone and then upgrade it. Because that's, that's, that's your best bet. Can't, I, I'm going to get three years out of this phone. And at the, that last year is going to be like, okay, so it might be a little sluggish. There's probably going to be a little glitches because none of the OS platforms really prioritize performance on their lower end devices anymore. Um, it, it might be missing some hot features like you know, payments. Well, if you're on Android, ID, it's like what? After, after 18 months, you're not going to get a whole lot of support. Yeah, well, after, well, the other eight, thing, after 18 months, you actually might have the upgrade to whatever the OS release was. But um, I, 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 think, I think the carriers are very happy to people have people spend, like, purchase fewer phones because they never really enjoyed, like, carriers are only in the phone selling business because that's how they get people onto plans. Oh, yeah, I know. So if they can keep changing the plan prices all the time and not have to worry about the whole device subsidy thing they're happier to do that they hate selling phones they hate dealing with physical inventory they don't and making hate selling guesses. phones they they ha- they hate the cost of customer acquisition associated yes. with selling phones okay yes yes and that's their last quarter their um they sold uh, their operating revenue for wireless was 1.8 billion, and the amount of inventory they sold was 148 million. So it's like less than 10% of their wireless revenue is from, and I'm I'm, I'm talking revenue. I'm not actually talking profit. Yeah. Is from selling phones. You know what was their marketing cost? They don't they don't say that. Yeah. Uh, but, but they but do I'm say the- that their expenses. Uh, the cost of equipment for wireless was 361 million, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's phone inventory. Yeah, no, that's, that that's be... the cost of being a carrier. Yeah, yeah. but um, for example, last quarter Rogers, I'm um, just looking at their Q3 results right now. Their ARPU was flat; it basically declined a little bit. Their churn increased somewhat, but their blended ARPU um, and ARPU is average revenue per per user. Um, uh. basically what they're saying is that voice revenue is decreasing so quickly that they have to make it up with data and that's why data prices are not dropping I mean that's just simply like simple um, you know simple math they they have to they're beholden to their investors and their investors expect increased profit every quarter and they're yeah, not but, making more profit so from their wireless idea. Instead Sorry? of charging us more for the thing that they're already providing, why don't they actually try to do something else that we might want to pay for? Like, like that's what? the common frustration. It's like I understand. Oh wow, there's uh, the 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 ground based realities of our business are changing. What are we gonna do? Well, what, the the lowest path of resistance. Let's dump the pain point off into the customer instead of trying to find new opportunities through which we can gain revenue we'll just we'll just flip the numbers and then charge people more money for the same thing or charge them the same amount for less the thing that the thing that i find just reprehensible is that when the smartphone like when smartphones first like started gaining popularity like you said people didn't know how much data they were going to use people didn't know what the data meant you know i don't know how many megabytes i need because i don't know how many megabytes my email takes up yeah. Um, and I think 
The problem is, is that people are a little bit, they have a little bit more understanding about that now. So I feel like we went from like, they had like really crazy small data buckets that were expensive. And then people kind of tended to go towards the larger ones because they know what they needed. And then we kind of went into like an unlimited data space because people were using so much of it. And then we feel like we've gone back. But the problem is now with like Netflix, like music streaming services, people are using more data than ever. Like all these hugely data intensive services are like getting more popular. And that's why I, yeah, people are just going to end up like, I don't, I'm wondering how, I don't know why, I don't know why there isn't even at like, even if it's, they're charging, you know, 150 bucks a month for, there isn't an option for unlimited data. Like when was the last time I haven't been in Canada long, long enough to know, but when was the last time like the big three offered unlimited data, like it's a regular thing. 2008, 2009. Yeah, it was before the, so basically when TELUS and Bell jointly launched their HSBA Plus network, I think they offered, like my dad had, when he when he had the, uh, uh, what was that? HTC Windows mobile device that was popular at the time. The Windows Windows Mobile six point five. Yeah, it was the one with that like weird three D interface. Oh, yeah. Anyway, he got unlimited, bra- like it was called unlimited web browsing, which uh, through like legacy plans ended up becoming unlimited data. But um, th- it used a different APN, so you couldn't use some apps. And eventually, when LTE was launched, it, it couldn't upgrade to LTE. So a lot of these legacy customers are stuck on HSBA Plus, and they'll be stuck indefinitely until they decide to upgrade their plan. In which case, they'll get screwed. <laughs> right. So if you, I mean, that's another thing. These, the the carriers have been like, okay, if you want LTE, then you have to upgrade your plan. And a lot of people are like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> HSBA Plus is fast enough. Oh man. But I mean, we remember when we did that. Uh, that what was the company that went around Canada? And uh, they did testing with LTE and HSPA Plus. They found that Bell Rogers and Telus HSPA Plus networks were way faster than Wins. So even on HSPA Plus, you're still going to be faster than on Wind. Which you know, I'm sorry. Well, to I'm say not surprised crazy. anybody like faster than on Wind. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Like I even just like so looking at the My Rogers app, which you know for the first time in a long time uh, now works, and I can actually check my usage and build details it's not telling me they can't access it although it's plastered with uh, nhl game center live promotions uh for some reason my what i owe this month is 101 dollars and 67 cents but when i go to the details of my usage i'm underneath my data messaging and voice significantly so somehow <laughs> somehow How i'm paying more this cost? month than what i should be and Rogers gives me no indication of why. Yeah, I think well, they're I'm required sure they would, to. I think I'm sure they would feed you a thing about how their, um, about how their system doesn't update in real time, and the numbers you see may appear larger. <laughs> uh, well, last twelve hours usage within the last twelve hours, but I'm three gigs under my uh, data. I'm 138 minutes under my 200 minute limit. <laughs> Because I, I don't talk to anyone ever. Like um, and uh, usage. I'm, I have unlimited text messages. 
So I'm I'm not even sure what they're trying to get me to to pay for. Um, so great, thanks guys. And and it's just it's just that it's just that this is the relationship that we have with our carriers. So I'm wondering, and we we've been talking about this for a while, but we need to start talking to some people to CRTC to see CRTC to see uh, if the cadence that we regularly or that they act upon to try to manage and change and uh, work with the industry needs to happen faster because we've seen the speed at which the carriers can kind of read and respond to the new reality on the ground of legislation and then find a way to make it work to their advantage. Yeah, I, I see, I, I disagree that the carriers are these nefarious companies looking to screw everybody out of their money. I just think that their business is looking to make money and they're going to find ways to do it. And, you know, Rogers has been an interesting example in the last few months of a company that's tried to add value to their existing, you know, they have the same. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Prices for their plans as everybody else, but they are offering more value on top of those prices by, you know, these Game Plus, um, uh, what's it called? Game Center Plus yeah. stuff. Game Center Live, Game Plus. Yeah. Right, Game Plus. Uh, so... And the Roam Like Home thing that launched last week, which is $5 unlimited roaming uh, when you can add it to your share plan. Sorry, not unlimited roaming, but roaming for $5 that takes data from your share plan. So yeah. uh, if you have a six gig plan, you can use the same amount in the US as you can in Canada for five bucks a day. Um, you know, these are decent products. They're just expensive and they add up. Um, so... I also wanted to talk a little bit about the way that the transition is going to happen towards connected wearables because the Gear S launched this week and yeah. I think that's a really interesting product. It's got a curved AMOLED display, really high-res screen. It has a lot of smartphone-like features. It can send text messages and make phone calls. It even routes your phone calls from your phone to your watch when the watch is disconnected from the phone. So yeah. it'll so, automatically yeah. forward your phone calls yeah to your watch if you don't have your phone with you which is super interesting yeah and and you know a little bit more convenient than the way that we assumed that it would be i think two weeks ago when we talked about the device yeah in terms of having a separate you know number that wouldn't work with your number so it does it is a bit of a kludge in terms of the call forwarding and then you know daniel as you mentioned i think today carriers also seem to have a call forwarding bucket <sighs> Like, there's a limit yeah. to the amount of calls that you can forward? Because apparently that costs. Well, I mean, I think old plans do. I don't know about newer plans. I think that's included in it. But the problem with this is that if you're, say, I'm out for a run, and I take my Gear S, and I don't want to carry my phone, any incoming phone calls from to my phone will be routed to my watch. 
But if, say, I miss that call and I want to call them back, I can make a phone call because there's a SIM card in there, but it's going to yeah. come from the SIM from the phone number on the watch. Yeah, and that's something that happened to us just last night. Dinah was texting me all kind of crazy stuff using the predictive text on the on the watch, and I, we were texting back and forth, and I thought that I was texting the watch. I thought that I was, you know, talking to the phone number on the watch, but it was on the the, the, the note demo unit that he he had been sent with the watch, and um and then so I got this text message. From your perspective, you had no right, and I I was texting back, and I was I was texting back, assuming that I was texting the watch, and then I got this text message, like a very weird text message, like when I was just about to leave my apartment, from a different number that I did not know, and I was like, who the fuck is this? So I called it, and then Daniel picked up, and he was like, yeah. So that other number, it turns out, is from the note that I was connected to. But now that I've unpaired the two devices, the, tech, the number that you're getting now is the number from the watch. Yeah, so, if that's not confusing enough. Well, yeah. but, but think of it this way. Like, people have home and, and mobile phone numbers. Yeah, like, I mean, when, we, when we think of, like, our, our contact profile, there's, like, a work, home, mobile. But it's also having the sense that if I had that number in my phone... And I was like, oh, I'm going to, you know what, i got to leave now, but I'm going to call Daniel on the way and let him know I'm going to be late. And then he, I got a text message from him, and it was from the number I was watching. It came up as Daniel's watch because I had that number saved under his contact profile. I'd be like, oh, Daniel doesn't have his phone. There's no point me emailing him because he's not going to reply until, you know, he gets back from the gym or wherever he is, wherever he happens to be that he didn't bring his phone. Right. Yeah. And I, I think this is a, an issue unique to smartwatches and other connected devices because tablets, even though they've had SIM cards in them for a long time, and are generated phone numbers because they have SIM cards. If you have a SIM card that's connected to a network, uh, the current system forces the network to generate a, a phone number. But because uh, for the last few years, most tablets can't make phone calls and can't send text messages in a traditional way, uh, they just use the SIM card for data. This hasn't been an issue. But Samsung is trying to push the Gear S as... Not a phone sl- uh, replacement, but a phone companion, sometimes yeah. replacement. Mm-hmm. And that's going to require some re-education on the part of Samsung because people are going to buy this SIM card not realizing that they have a new phone number. Can you can you talk about a bit of the, the background that you got today on just like the intentions of this device? Or Yeah, you know, I, I found that... Um, you know, Samsung's trying to push this as the high-end smartwatch, this, the watch that early adopters want to buy. Uh, you know, it's, it's a $400 watch. This is not inexpensive. And the relationship it has with the smartphone is not as clearly delineated as an existing, say, Android Wear device or even an Apple Watch because it does not need a smartwatch in most situations. But there are some things that it still does. For example, you can't change most of the settings on your watch itself. You can't install apps from the watch itself. You can't update your contacts from the watch itself. So anything that... It's a, it's a two-directional relationship, but the relationship from the phone to the watch is like the 70-30 relationship. Now, is that, is that just a current software restriction or is that a hardware restriction? Like, can well, it just I, not do it or is it more they just haven't worked that out yet? I just don't think that they want to. I think that it's a matter of offloading as much compute power to the phone as possible to prevent the battery lasting, you know, 20 minutes. 
And this is the same thing that the first watch kit, um, you know, Explorers, the SDK for Apple Watch called Watch Kit was released this week. And they said the same thing, that most of the compute is done on the phone because the watch would last, you know, a couple of hours at most if everything was done on the watch itself. Yes. And well, then it also saves... It also justifies a purchase because you're not worried about having to upgrade yeah. your watch every two years because if it's if it's a display and an interface that's as, as good as they can essentially make it and you you keep upgrading your phone, the capabilities of that watch are going to coincide with it, right? Whereas it seems like with the, the Gear S, it's like you're paying extra money for what is essentially... Uh, a slave unit device that just happens to have the capacity to make calls and send and receive texts for when you don't have your phone with you but you still want to send and receive texts which you know being a hundred dollars leveled in the base apple watch is just a very weird way of going about justifying a device existence you know wow yeah i mean it's a very interesting conundrum and we haven't so they wouldn't tell us how the carriers will approach this either. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that in the U.S. you sort of add a 5 or $10 uh, monthly fee to add your watch to your existing shared data plan. So in Canada, right now you spend $10 extra per month to add a connected tablet to your shared data plan, which is pretty inexpensive if you have an iPad and you have a 6 or 10 gig data plan. Just you know throw it on there or whatever. You can connect to the Internet. Um, but we don't know how they're going to treat these watches. And we also don't know how the carriers are going to sell the watch. Are they going to sell it as a companion device? Do they want you to buy a a watch with its own data plan? Or are they merely... And also, the fact that you would add this to your existing share plan, does that mean that it'll also eat into your phone minutes? Right, yeah. like if you only have a, a limited number of phone calls, you have to buy an exist like an entirely new phone bucket for this. Well, that's why AT and T has that that plan, right? But so now, and this this is interesting. So like, because it's probably pretty obvious. It's like it's not like they're not saying that the carriers won't do this because the carriers are keeping it closer to us. The carriers are probably still figuring out what to do themselves because this is new. And you know, even going back to that Moto 360 brief that we're at, it was obviously that Motorola was also like, this is all very new for us too. We're doing weird stuff with this we need to talk with people and see how it goes so a lot of this you know i wouldn't expect the way that this arrangement is happening to be the way it will be happening in a year but i do think and maybe this is a good time to transition to the the apple watch stuff because in addition to just that there's a lot of other things that we learned it seems like the more we learn about the apple watch the more it shows the amount of like thinking they went into simplifying and streamlining what the device is for, what it can do, how it operates, and then a roadmap of capabilities to to maybe negate or sidestep around some of this ickiness with like devices that are halfway there, not quite, or just aren't fully formed with an identity. Right. So um, when we when we uh, you know got in, we got. Uh, word of the watch kit release a bunch of other sites sort of tearing into it and the verge had a really good overview of 11 things that we learned from the the watch kit um Mm -hmm. first of all there's going to be two resolutions 272 by 340 for the 38 mil version 
and three three twelve by three ninety for the forty two gig for the forty two mil version. Wow, that's a mouthful. Um, and there could be more watch sizes later because the screen they're asking developers to make adaptable apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are two types of Apple Watch notifications known as a short look and a long look. And uh, both of them are dealt with mostly on the device, on, the, on, the, um, on the, w- the phone itself. You will need an iPhone to uh, use a, an Apple Watch at first. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there are things like glances, which allow you to see quick views of information like the time, weather, and tasks. And they must fit onto a single screen and are read-only, which means that you won't be able to actually update the app with an action. You'll only be able to see information. You won't be able to interact with your phone and change things on the device. Yeah, so like uh, if you're using, if you're navigating using maps, you can't use the watch to zoom around the map. You can really only see what it's presenting, right? And it also, it also won't like dynamically refresh or something. Was that it? Or like you just can't impact it. Right. Exactly. So, uh, and that's that's super interesting. Um, but what what's really kind of unfortunate is that a lot of this stuff, in order to extend, extend the battery life, is done on the phone. And that means that, on the one hand, the, the watch is, is just a conduit for your phone's unbelievable processing power, which is why it needs an iPhone 5 or above to work. But on the other hand, it means that you won't necessarily need to replace your watch every year because it won't get obsolete because most of the stuff is done on the phone anyway, yeah. right? So you'll you'll never have to pull your bent iPhone six plus out of your pocket. <laughs> Exa- or your well, smashed hopefully by the six S, it won't bend anymore. Yeah. So yeah, watch watch kit is is, is super interesting. Uh, what they did say in the press release, Apple said that they uh, starting later next year, developers will be able to create fully native apps yeah. for Apple Watch. What that means, we don't really know because. Does that mean that the apps will run natively or that they will just allow more bi-directional uh, interaction uh, between the watch and the phone? Well, so, but I think when you say a native app, it's probably native to the phone in, or the watch in terms of being processed. Because interestingly, like this wasn't an SDK that was released just for the Apple Watch. It was actually a component of the iOS 8.0. One, two. Point one or two, or yeah, whatever the the, the iOS uh, dev kit. So very much right now, it is a component of your iPhone app development, mm-hmm. um, and not I- iPad, but iPhone specifically. Uh, MG Siegler, um, former TechCrunch writer, and uh, now I guess Google Ventures uh, VC, uh, had a really interesting take on it, where it's it seems like. Although there are probably some like timeline and technical limitations too, like they obviously just weren't ready to support native app development on this watch that they can't even get out yet. But the rollout also seems very familiar to the first iPhone mm. rollout, where it was very locked down. The only apps that were run could run were first party apps. Uh, people were left to use, you know, web standards to get any sort of activity on, um, and then over time more functionality was that was all the phone was always capable of was parsed out in ways that um happened so when when the the circumstances could support it 
And I thought that was very interesting that it seems like, you know, it, it really seems like Apple spent a lot of time thinking about this and we really want to get this right. This is not a situation where I think a lot of other smartwatch or wearable companies have been like, well, we can put this functionality in a device this size at this price point. Here's a new vertical. Let's get into this space. And Apple's like, what is this thing for? And I think it explains a bit of that kind of like triumphant feeling that they kind of pushed when they announced the watch. Right. That some of us were being like, I, you know, you guys seem really happy with this. But they were also limiting the amount of information that they were giving, right? They were really excited with but, the build quality and the design, and now we're learning more about the functionality. But even though they limited the information they gave to what it could do, like, it was one of those things where I feel like, because it was around the time of IFA and, like, the Zen watch was being announced, and, like, mm -hmm. the, the Sony Smartwatch 3 and all those, and you're kind of, you knew at first glance what it did. You were like, oh yeah, it's a smartwatch, it connects to your phone, and so it does. But I feel like Apple during that event gave us enough information to know that it's, like, like, I felt like I watched that and I was like, oh my god, like, it can do so much. And I feel like it really showed that they thought of, and maybe it's because iOS is is not as open as Android, but it felt like they really thought about every layer of functionality that you might possibly want from a watch, and, and every yeah. lifestyle. Like, you're like, I'm yeah. not just buying this because I'm training for a marathon. I'm buying yes. it because I'm a lazy fuck who works in an office and needs to be reminded to stand up once an hour. Like, no, but they really considered... I think the broad spectrum of users that might use it. Yeah, not only but not only like what you can do with something, but what it means to want to do those things on your wrist, you know? Like we make fun <laughs> of the heartbeat thing all the time, but like you know, why someone would want to do that, like what it's for, how it solves a problem is very important right. to like oh yeah, you can you can phone calls. It can do phones. Let's let's put phone call capacity in let's there. Let's throw that on the spec sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Um well, yeah, so, I, I think I mean that that's a really good point. I, I still scratch my head figuring out what Apple, sorry, what what Android Wear is really for. Right. You know, I, I wear an Android Wear watch every day, and right now the only thing I use it for is notification triage. Mm -hmm. I I think I can count on one hand the number of times I've answered a text or an email or a hangouts message with my voice i wouldn't ever want to type on that small screen and we'll get to sort of the typing experience on the gear s in a second but you know the current crop of android wear watches are watches i mean you, they tell the time they have some nice watch faces they send you notifications some of them can track your run and, but the native app experience is very much a passive Mm -hmm. sort of push from your phone nothing stands on its own right the times that it's really useful is sort of like how google now is useful when you don't really think you need a piece of information but it just shows up on your screen and you're like oh that's yes. super useful yeah, thank it's you great. i love yeah. google now it's so good i'm so happy it, feel, it's on yeah. ios <laughs> i feel like i this this whole thing reminds me and i can't remember what campaign oh, wait, wait. it was for i think we lost microsoft Jane. had a she's, windows she's, campaign she's, she's oh that's such a complex pause contemplative look uh, what we we lost you and you were like frozen in thought <laughs> i was saying this remind it reminds me of, like the whole apple watch i guess pitch reminds me of i can't remember what campaign it was but microsoft had like a windows phone campaign or or like a live tiles campaign but basically it was your phone maybe it was for the kin I can't remember, but basically it was supposed to be that, you know, you spent so much of your time, like, 
focusing your life into your phone when really your phone should be fitting into your life and enhancing your life as you go about it. Oh, and I yeah, feel yeah. like the Apple Watch, do you remember that? Yeah, it was oh, yeah, like dudes in the shower looking at their phone and stuff like that. I remember those Yeah, and it was supposed to be like you shouldn't be taking your eyes off life to look at, you know, to, to, to give your phone attention. You sh- your phone should just be enhancing the life that you have. And I feel like Google now really does that. And I feel like the, the Apple Watch, that was what they were going for when they were like, hey, it doesn't matter whether you're so active that you're at the gym three hours a day or you're so inactive that you need to be running to stand up. Like your watch will get to know you and like be in sync with your lifestyle and tell you, tell you what's up. Yeah. So, but so now, in fairness to Android Wear, um, and to reel back the just the the Apple love that we're propagating because of our bias, um, you know, the functionality of the Apple Watch when it's released will essentially be um, very similar to Android Wear in terms of notification oh, triage, yeah. right? But at least Apple. And even not from the announcement, but well, from the announcement, then but then going forward in this release, which they put the information in the SDK, um, even though you know you might not see these apps until the end of next year, um, you already know that it's going towards there, so you're not worried about like you know that you're buying something that might not be that day one, but will be that. Oh, Whereas that, with uh... Android Wear, Google has been very focused on the micro contextual and hasn't really talked about functionality beyond that you make that point of they they basically had this great presentation and you know ever like we need to look at the big picture and that it might not be capable of all that and the kitchen sink on day one but i will be pissed if it can't do all that it says they did they had like they announced it what like six months in advance they gave us our first look i feel like a lot of people will be like what do you mean it doesn't do everything that you said it would do on the first day yeah but they they launched i mean google launched android wear five four months before google i.o yeah. Which is when this is the first time we saw those devices. Mm. Uh, the hype around the Moto 360, if you recall, was well, that was just because it was loud. attractive, right? But it it also promised things that other smartwatches in on the Android Wear ecosystem, you know, wouldn't couldn't deliver. I mean, the first Android Wear watches didn't have uh, ambient light sensors. They're right. they're uh, but it did deliver those one. when it was released. I'm talking about if the Apple Watch comes out on day one and they're like, oh, yeah, an X, Y, and Z functionality that we talked about a while ago, that'll be here in the next update. I don't think they'll do that. I just think that people have no, to temper I know. their expectations about what those features actually mean. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what a glance means. I mean, a glance could be the exact same thing as Jane McIntyre liked your photo on Instagram that shows up on my wrist every two minutes. Right? Yeah, I'm that into Daniel's Instagram. Well, well then, then no, going back to the going back to the Microsoft thing, it's like, you know, that yeah, it was a great commercial, but that gap again it, that Microsoft struggles with is their intention versus their execution, right? Mm-hmm. So, do we trust Apple more to deliver on that? Um, well, I do. I think that I Apple's, but but I also think that a lot of people put up with iOS, an incomplete iOS for a very long time iOS, in my opinion, didn't really get useful until iOS 4 when they got rid of those damn... Uh, well, when they got rid of the background uh, usage limitations, right? Remember, you had to be in a music app to listen to music until yeah. iOS 4. Uh, unless you, No, unless it was iTunes music. Like I thought the, the iTunes music player could always play music, but not third-party apps. You're right. right? I meant... Like RDO yeah. and no, yeah, sorry, I, I get you. And stuff. But so, so with that though, like when you're thinking about, you know, that's either 
there's a difference between not being complete and Apple saying, we're only going to do this stuff and we're going to do it really well. And then when we do the other stuff, we're going to do it well. And I think, you know, we're, we're having these conversations t- just today about iOS 8 and continuity and extensions. And what extensions means in terms of, like, what it will provide today is nothing like what it will be. But b- because they've laid out an understanding of what that can do and there's that trust in them delivering on it, you're excited about extensions now even though... It doesn't really do anything. Just you know, just even the announcement with iOS 8, you're like, oh, cool, app extensions are going to talk to each other. And then you find out that the way the Apple Watches connects with iOS 8 is it's essentially an app extension that's mirrored to the Apple Watch. Um, yeah. I agree with that. I just think that the experience... I don't think we should dismiss the experience until we've used it, I think that the Apple Watch will be as useful as Apple thinks it'll be or needs it to be yes. for the first generation, just like the iPhone 3G yeah. and its you know App Store 1.0 model was as oh. useful as Apple needed it to be. Well, yeah, okay, so the caveat with that and the rule, as, as a longtime user of Apple products, the, the rule is you never buy a first-gen Apple product because <laughs> the second-gen Apple products will make you feel like an asshole. See, that's like, what I don't get when people are saying, oh, well, all the processing is done on the phone, so you don't need, you don't need to worry about spending, like, four or $500 on the device because, you know, you're not going to have to upgrade it because all the function is done, all the work is done on the phone. And yeah, I'm like, but well, that's, you could say the same about phones, Android Wear. Yeah. Uh, or Android Wear. Yeah, Android Air. Android Wear. You could say the same as that, you know, well, you don't need to upgrade the hardware, but the problem is is that the hardware of the device itself, like, like, annual, like Daniel said, is... Like the Moto 360 was the first one with an ambient light sensor, and there is certain there will be certain hardware limitations with a yeah. first generation device that you can't just chalk up to. Oh well, the phone will take care of it. It's fine. Well, no, but, but that's we were talking about this last week when we were talking about like how cool um, Lollipop is. But we've yet I've yet to find uh, an Android handset. It's probably the Moto X. You should try with, it, the Moto X. Yeah, I would I would love to really see if the Moto X with a, a, a bamboo backing was the device for me to switch to Android on, you know, any one of the major Canadian carriers, possibly some of whom we talked about on this very podcast. But with Android Wear, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, we can talk about Apple Watch and we're talking about iOS, we're talking about Apple, we're talking about the whole thing because Apple controls all of it. Whereas when you talk about Android Wear, you're talking about you know, uh, a platform that all these different OEMs are running and interpreting. And yeah, their, their goals and mandates with the hardware are very different. Right. And that's just the, the way that Android has been designed. And I think there yeah. are advantages to that. Um, oh, know, the variety of being able to go, being able to go to the play store, at least in the U S and choose between five or six Android wear watches is fantastic. I think, yeah. That's what makes Android so, uh, so vital and and so exciting, you know. Yeah, but it's but it also and makes confusing. being an Android OEM the most difficult thing in the world. Well, which yeah, is because they were possible. like ambient light sensor. Who needs that? And then three months later, fuck. I guess we needed that. Yeah. So. Well, what's really frustrated me was that all these devices, the first gen wearables, didn't come with always on heart rate sensing because it was too taxing to whatever you know, hardware they were using. And then all of a sudden, 
there's an influx of these fitness bands that have always-on heart rate sensing that are super useful, but none of them are actually smartwatches. And yeah. it doesn't seem like those that functionality is too battery-intensive. So I wonder why it was omitted from all these first-gen products, likely because they are first-gen products yeah, and they just well, wanted to get out the door. So there, there's two things here, because I think even with the Moto 360, um, some of that stuff was like, well, we actually built the capabilities into the hardware. We're just waiting for android wear to update so we can take advantage of it like the hardware manufacturers don't control the software experience to that extent that, yeah um so you know the smart ones build in more and try to future proof it the second thing is you're you're talking about a lot of devices that were probably released because they could be rather than they should be so and part of that is because you know and we were talking about this with uh the microsoft band where they're like we just need to get something out the door to learn from it we're not looking to sell a bunch of these. We're not looking to manufacture like 50,000 or however many. We're just trying to build it, get it out, learn from it, and iterate quickly. But And that's understandable from a company manufacturing design perspective. But as a consumer, like, do, do you want to, oh, hey, cool, I, I dropped $200 on this uh, this smartwatch. Yeah, don't don't really need it, but then I'll drop another pay. $200. Yeah. yeah. But they were very honest. Microsoft was honest about that. They said that it was more of an experiment. Yeah. Android Wear came out more of an ex as an experiment. It wasn't really finished, and then asked people to spend $300 on these watches. Well, no, OEMs did. Android Wear was released, and then the OEMs decided to ask people. But you gotta, yeah, but they you partnered the with platform, Google. Right? Well, I mean, Google was endorsing the shit out of them at, at I.O. I mean, yep. Google played their part as well. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even it was, wasn't, I, I don't know if you heard the same thing, Daniel, but when I was at Google I.O., um, the vibe that I got about the, the G-Watch, for sure, was that there were certain things that they wish they could have included, but they were, you know, they were just in a rush to get it finished. Right. And which is probably why the G-Watch R came out only four months later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be great to see what happens when uh, Google try decides to release a Nexus smartwatch. I can't wait. Although most Nexus, most smartwatches right now are pretty much Nexus watches because they can't really mess with the experience. Oh, well, they do, can't soon. Do we want to talk Nexus? Yeah, let's talk the fact that the Nexus 6 went on sale this week and sold out in like 10 minutes. <laughs> repeatedly. Uh, that happened in the U.S. too, but in Canada, it hit close to home. Um, a lot of our readers said that they got their units, uh, but most of them said that they didn't. And, uh, you know, they'll probably get... They'll come back in stock next week. What Wednesdays is when they... When they restock the U.S. one, so I, I, yeah. I would imagine that they restock them on the same day here as well. Yeah, and we've been trying to keep you up to date, guys, but it's really tough when the moment that we see like back in stock and we go to like update something or tweet it out, it's like if someone else goes to verify, it's out of stock again. Like, um, yeah, we're, we're doing our best, but you know, yeah, and I, I also think that um, the fact that people aren't going to get them for another three to four weeks is pretty unfortunate i mean that's, that's basically awful. gonna be like a christmas present that killed my boner i was like <laughs> i was like refreshing that page like crazy even though i'm like it's too much money i'm not made of money well i'm not made of money but apparently my brain was like sure you can spend 800 dollars on this phone you should do it 865 dollars and 57 cents well that's what my brain thought that was okay so, so then i was so hitting refresh and then it came up and I was like, three to four weeks, okay, no. If I can't have it, like, by the end of the week, I don't want it. So you're saying that the fact that the gratification wasn't instant made you reconsider whether or not you actually Absolutely. needed the piece of hardware? 
That's hence, amazing. Hence the the quote, "It killed my boner," because like yeah. that boner is not going to last a month. Well, but then so then that's don't. also that's a different business reality, right? Because like say the way that Apple does it is like, yeah, you can you can pre-order today and it'll ship in whenever. Or and, and it's releases, available today. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or and Google releases like review units that don't have final software on it. Because that's what that's like the definition of impulse uh, buying. I want it now. And if you're standing at the register and they're like, "Oh, those are display model, you know, chocolate bars," but you can get one and we'll ship one to you next week, and you're like, "Well, I want to <laughs> yes. eat one now." So, okay, breaking <laughs> news: chocolate bar might kill you. <laughs> um, the AT and T Nexus Six, yeah, is locked. And has a big back off AT and T logo on the back and an AT and T splash screen when you boot it up. Yeah, but those are forgivable. It's <laughs> locked to a carrier, uh, and you can't unlock it by loading a different ROM. So, so throwback Thursday. It's two thousand and seven again, guys. Oh uh, yeah. And oh, you're gonna neuter your GPS too. Not only that, but it has a tethering check, which is common in the U.S. But this is at a SIM level, so even if you install a new ROM. <laughs> It uh, you can't tether unless you pay twenty dollars a month for the for the benefit, and the ringtones are stored on a separate block partition called OEM, uh, which means that even if you factory reset the device, you cannot get rid of those terrible uh, ringtones. So hope to God that the Canadian carriers are not that selfish, and they do not lock you know, this phone. But we've already been through this. AT&T, like, this is how they lose customers. Like, we did this five years ago, seven years ago now. Like, oh, dear. They, you can't, no one cares about you, AT&T. And when you do stuff, it just means that you're going to lose customers. Like, yeah, I don't understand they why they're trying them. this again. But do they think that um... people have forgotten what, like, the shit that they tried to play with devices in the mid two thousands, Daniel, how likely do you think it is that Canadian cards would do it? Well, I mean, if I recall, the Galaxy Nexus was was not locked, but maybe I'm wrong. I think the Nexus S was locked. Yeah, I'd have to go Nexus back S and check. So you know, it's it this, but the, the Nexus four and five sold at carrier levels were not locked. So I I really don't want to think that it. It's going to happen again this year. There are times when I think about the old country. And <laughs> there are plenty of things. <laughs> there are plenty of things that make me happy to live in Canada and live in North America. But God. Yeah. Anyway, so... Ringtones that, that you can't delete. We'll I mean, find, fuck off. We'll Seriously. find out pricing in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. Uh, the Nexus 6 is probably going to get to stores at the end of November. So we have a couple weeks left. Or a week and a bit left. Uh, and finally, our our lollipop poll. We uh, we asked you guys what you think of lollipop, and uh, you told us. And I appreciate the response uh, of of the five questions that I asked. Forty three percent say that it's a massive improvement on previous Android versions, and twenty six percent say it's better, but I wouldn't say it's a must have upgrade. So a lot of people said some really interesting things. If you haven't checked it out yet, uh, it is our lollipop poll. And uh, some interesting comments. Uh, somebody, uh, a really uh, great longtime reader who I, I always appreciate his comments, Jel Moo, he said, Lollipop is nice, but I honestly expected to be more blown away by it than I was. 
It's possible that the impact will be better felt on other devices, but my Nexus 5 didn't see a massive improvement in day-to-day -day performance. So that's kind of how it's summed up by a lot of people. It's, it's a great visual overhaul. There's some cool, unique features, but it's not as blow away as, say, going from iOS 6 was to going to iOS 7 or from 2.3 to 4. And, uh, yeah, I, I think um, we're going to leave it at that. And if you guys want to sort of close this out. Shout-outs, Clinton. Uh, comments on the last podcast uh, agreed with us on the Nexus 6 um, in terms of uh, pricing and the review. Obviously, you'll probably have some thoughts about what we just discussed with AT&T. And then, you know, our, our good friend Kyle Tuck, who had commented that he was uh, addicted to the podcast. Um, yeah. But he, 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 had, he wondered if <laughs> any of our uh, relationships with devices were similar to that of our readers, the average uh, Canadian. Well, he's, he's back again, and he admitted that he is hooked. <laughs> you can't so quit we, us, Kyle. Yeah, well, the first one was free, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kyle also had a, a, a good comment on the Lollipop post. Um, he says, I, I fail to see how Android 5 is the biggest change in Android. And he disagrees that this is the Android for your mother that we talked about in our last podcast. Uh, he wants us to provide more concrete examples. So I think we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Oh, my God. Mobile yeah. stair pits the streets. Yeah. 65 and above. <laughs> um, oh, my God. And uh, also, uh, Foursquare is a new Windows Phone app. Shout out Jeff Broussard. Awesome. Oh, you had to get it in there. And okay. we will end it on that lovely Broussard note. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you like us, please write a review on iTunes or wherever Subscribe. you download your podcast. We would love more people to listen uh, to our little syrup cast. And uh, if you if you listen to Serial, um, which we all do, uh, uh, Mail, this podcast is sponsored by MailChimp. MailChimp. Uh, Mail we're not uh, we're not sponsored, but uh, if you are anyone. interested in sponsoring our podcast, please get in touch. Daniel and at mobilesyrup.com. And uh, that is it. Uh, have Boner, a great week, give and us we money. will see you next week. Let's go Raptors! <laughs> Boo! Raptors! Meow. <laughs> 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 so very displeased. <laughs> <laughs>